podcast is out for God's blessing. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New like Covenant to find out Presbyterian more about Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OCC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you benefited from this blessing and want to know ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down. But overall, things have been tight financially, and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building and rebuilding to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72. Cannot we get any more seats, and if we were to fill every single one in our lives, every Lord's Day we would have no that, more than seventy-two. Uh, we would see the, the plans for our new building would more than double the capacity, in our hearts, enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially, and even be able to help other churches. And sisters. One of the things that we for want Lord, to, to be is a church that is able Jesus. to look beyond itself Amen. for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building well, can help us sisters, get there, and so we are praying that God would provide us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it. And that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. Samuel, as you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. And there's a great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly in this place, through the preaching of the word. And so, if you want to support us, the liturgy to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to the center. You can give by sending us a check with building funds in the Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name. In the morning, we had a sermon which focused particularly on the need to be faithful to God and the way in which keeping the Sabbath is a is a culmination of the first table of the law. Remember, the first table of the law deals with the way in which we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second table of the law deals with the way in which we are to love each other and to, to love other Christians, to love, to love those made in the image of God, to love our neighbor as ourselves, as the scriptures teach. And in the Lord's providence, this is the, the basic message that we have uh, in Philippians 1, verses 1 to 8. So whereas we saw the, the first table of the law being expounded in the, in the morning, so too now we turn to the second table of the law with the, the book of Philippians in, in Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. For this really is the thing that we see in the opening of Paul's letter. There are many different ways in which Paul opens his letters. Uh, with regard to the, the uh, letter to the Philippians, we see that this is one of his most personal letters that he writes. He clearly has a great love for the Philippian church. Uh, he's writing from prison, and yet he, he's recognizing that even as so many uh, who uh, were walking with him up to a certain point, when they saw that he was in prison, that was enough for them to just just subtly say, you know, we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna associate with Paul as much as we did. But uh, Paul says of the Philippians, you know, you 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 Philippian church, you were not ashamed of of my chains. You have been partners with me in the gospel. And here, the, the the thanksgiving and the love that Paul shows for the Philippian church uh, is truly is truly astounding and great. And it is a model for us as well. If I were to ask, you know, what is what is in fact the greatest duty that a Christian has? What is the thing that a Christian can do that is most pleasing to God? The answer is love, whether we're talking about the first table of the law, uh, and that would be loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is, that is the duty of the law. But then secondly, also, you, the second table is, is really, in, in a lot of ways, no less important. For if anyone were to say that he loves God but hates his brother, he is a liar. 
That is what the scriptures say. And in fact, even further, John in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, you remember um, what Jesus himself says, a new command I give to you, love one another even as I have loved you. And even further, Christ says, it is by this, this in particular, that all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. If the first great command is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then loving your neighbor as yourself is the second great command and is the summary of the second table of the law. And in fact, even further, because there is this, this um, natural relationship between the two tables, uh, sometimes in the scriptures, the, the summary of the entire law is given as uh, the summary of the first table, and at other times, the summary of the entire law is given as the second table because the idea is that the one implies the other. You can't have the one without the other. And so Jesus himself in Matthew 7, verse 12, where we have the golden rule, you are to treat others the way you would like to be treated, he actually says that that command, which is a summary of loving your neighbor as yourself, another way of putting it, that command is itself the entire law and the prophets. All of the law and the prophets is, in fact, loving your neighbor as yourself. Love is the primary duty of the Christian. And we will know, as I mentioned this morning, we will know that God is blessing us. He's pouring out his spirit when we are zealous for the worship of God. But the other thing that must be there, that we will know, the, the, the thing that we will know uh, that God is blessing us is if we see a true heart of love one for another. If we have a true heart of love, one for another, and this is the thing that we see in the opening uh, uh, verses here of Philippians. Now, we're going to look at this passage under two headings as we consider this mutual love between Christians, as we see it exemplified in the Apostle Paul. We'll look uh, first at the love that is shown in Paul through his thanksgiving to God for the Philippians in verses 3 and 4. And then in verses 5 through 7 in particular, we're going to look at how Paul's love is grounded in the work of God in the Philippians. Uh, that, that is the thing that Paul loves to see in the Philippian church is, the, is God's work in their lives. And it is that that binds his heart to them uh, so strongly. Uh, verse 8 is a, a summary statement of, uh, of uh, Paul's affection for them in light of all of these things. Uh, now, uh, there is, in fact, I, I mentioned this is verses 3 through 8, basically, is what I had mentioned in terms of the, uh, the outline for the sermon. However, there is an important point to make uh, about the very opening, the first two verses. Uh, sometimes in the uh, openings to the epistles, we see this particularly with the, with the letter to the Galatians, there is something of a preview of the entire letter given in the openings. At other times, the, the openings are, are very short, and they're, just, they're, they're basically just standard openings. And this is one of the more standard openings. So in verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not really told too much about what is going to be in this letter. And yet there is one important point to make about this opening. And that is, you'll notice that the address to the church in Philippi is given to the saints together with uh, two groups of people, the bishops and the deacons, the bishops and the deacons. Now, the reason I want to draw your attention to this, intro, this, this introduction is the, the description of bishops and deacons is significant, particularly for the question of church polity, which may seem like a, uh, a question that is, uh, that is uh, something that Presbyterians like to talk about and is... Um, is a bit of a minute detail, and yet it, it does actually illustrate an important point. And that is, is that when we think about 
what the scriptures speak to. What, what kinds of questions do the scriptures speak to? We basically want to say that the scriptures speak to essentially everything needed in life. And that includes, when we think about the church, the way in which even the church is structured, we would say also comes from the scriptures. When we think about Presbyterianism in particular, um, there are a, a few things that divide us from other denominations. One of the, th the things, for instance, that would divide us from Bap Baptists is uh, the question of baptism, of course. But the other thing that divides us from them and also then from uh, Episcopalians and Anglicans and others is the question of the government of the church. Does, do the scriptures actually teach that uh, that the way in which the church is to be governed is what Presbyterianism is. It, does the Bible actually teach Presbyterianism? And the answer is yes. And there's actually a little hint that we get in this very introduction. Uh, one of the things that happened in the early church, uh, very early in the church, is that um, there began to be the elevation of the bishop. The bishop became, became elevated. It was the beginning of hierarchy within the church. The um, even, even as early as the second century, there would be one bishop for an entire city. Then there soon became, became this network of bishops that eventually uh, focused on particular archbishops of entire regions. And this is eventually what led to uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope claiming to be the head of the entire church. It was this kind of hierarchical structure. But one of the things that you'll notice in the New Testament in particular is that the word bishop and the word elder are used interchangeably in the Bible. They're used perfectly interchangeably in the New Testament. And one of the things that this shows then is that there is no distinction between the bishop and the elder, and therefore there is no hierarchy of the bishop over the elder. And we see this in a text like this, where you have in the introduction to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, together with not as you would expect if there were a hierarchy, the bishop, the elders, and the deacons, but rather you have, together with the bishops, more than one for the one city of Philippi, and the deacons, only two with no hierarchy. And this is not just found here, though this is one of the, the verses that teaches it. It is found all throughout the New Testament and, uh, and, can, and can be traced through. The point is, is simply to say is that every question with regard to uh, our faith comes from the scriptures itself, even, even the question of church government which is what we get even from the introduction. Now, that is just an aside on Presbyterianism. Uh, the point is that we are Presbyterians uh, not because we think it is uh, the wisest system, though we believe it is, uh, but we are, we are Presbyterians by conviction because we believe that the Bible teaches that form of government. Uh, now, uh, with regard then to the, the, the main meat of this passage, we'll look at verses 3 through 4 and then again verses 5 through 7. You'll notice in verses 3 through 4, uh, Paul opens up this letter with a word of thanksgiving for, uh, for the Philippians. He is telling them the ways in which he thanks God uh, so much for them. And it is in his, as he says, in remembrance of you, in every remembrance of you. You'll notice uh, just how emphatic the, the language is. In every remembrance, always, every prayer for all of you. Uh, the language is highly emphatic as he remembers uh, everything that happened with the Philippian church. And you'll note that uh, there would
be thankful for. Um, you remember that the Apostle Paul, when this church was planted, he comes into Philippi in Acts chapter 16. He had the, the, the Macedonian call, as it is so-called. He had a dream, a vision uh, in the night where uh, there was a Macedonian, the, the, you know, the first Europeans to receive the gospel, uh, uh, calling on Paul to come to them. Then he goes there. We have, uh, he, he, he goes to, to the riverside. He sees Lydia. Lydia is converted as she's in prayer. Then you remember that, uh, that Paul himself was thrown into prison and the, the people of God there then are, are praying for him. There is the, the, the earthquake. There is the, the, the bringing out of, uh, of Paul. The jailer, the Philippian jailer is then converted and the church is planted. The, Paul is then restored to the people of God. There is rejoicing there. All of these things would have been things that he would have remembered. He, would have, he was remembering the way in which the gospel went forth with such great power, the, the, uh, the, the way in which the Spirit of God had worked such mighty things. And he's remembering all those things. And even further, we, we would see other things that we can see even from uh, this particular letter. The partnership of the gospel, he mentions in verse 5. The ministry of Epaphroditus, he mentions at the end of chapter 2. Epaphroditus, who is sent from the Philippians to help uh, the Apostle Paul. And again, wasn't ashamed of his chains, but was willing to come even, uh, even in that circumstance. He remembers surely with f great fondness the gift that he received from the, the Philippians. Uh, when, he, when Paul was in Thessalonica, as he mentions in chapter 4. Uh, and it was something that you know, the Philippian church had uniquely shared with Paul in. All of these things would have been things that, that, were, that Paul is, has in mind when he's thinking about the thanksgiving that he has for the Philippian church. And therefore, what he's saying is, is that there is this constant love. There is this great love that he has for the Philippians that overflows in constant prayer for them. He is always praying for them. He is always filled with joy when he thinks, uh, uh, when he thinks of them. He is always giving thanks to God for them. And this is the, the nature of the relationship that he has with them. Now, brothers and sisters, as I mentioned, the, the, the whole point of this is to, to be an, an example of the kind of love that we are to have for our brothers and sisters. As we think about the, the second table of the law, it is true. It, there is a, an obligation for us to love every person. Everyone is made, who's made in the image of God, which is everyone. We are to love every single person. And yet, one of the things that we see uh, all throughout the Bible is that there is a special love. There is a special love that we are to have for those who also, in addition to being made in the image of God, have been remade in the image of Christ. To those who call upon the same God as us and who labor with us for the advancement of that same gospel and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And this is the kind of love that the Apostle Paul has. This is the, the, the kind of love that the Apostle Paul has for the Philippians. It is something that naturally uh, comes as a result of, uh, of the, the communion of the saints, not naturally in the sense that it is uh, something that we have apart from grace, but naturally in the sense of when God works uh, this grace in the heart, it is the thing that must proceed, it, th 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 that there must be, if God works in the heart through his supernatural grace, the thing that must proceed is a love for other Christians. And brothers and sisters, the point is to say is that this is the kind of love that you should have for every member of the church. And even particularly, uh, there is a special sense in which this love should be present for the members of this church. Because this is the church family that you particularly have committed to. This is the reason why it's, it's so important for us to be loving one another and serving one another together as a church. Uh, now, if you were to ask then the next question, which would be, what, what has produced this kind of love 
in the Apostle Paul for the Philippians. What is it that has happened that has caused his heart to be so knit together with them? You'll notice in verses 5 through 7, the Apostle Paul speaks of these things. And these can be um, organized in, 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 uh, in according to time, you could call it. In verse 5, Paul speaks about God's past work in the lives of the Philippians. He says, uh, from the first day, your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now, so that's the past. Then being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So from now until the, the, the future, the very future, the end. And then in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, just as as is right for me to think of this of all of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. It is now in the present. That is to say, Paul looks at the work of God in the lives of the Philippians to, in the past. He sees what they are doing now, and he is confident of what will happen in the future. And all of these things contribute to the love that he has for them. He sees the work of God in their lives, and he cannot help but rejoice in it. He cannot help but rejoice in God's work in the lives of these Philippians. You'll notice what is said, in, in particularly then in verse 5, as he describes the work of the past. He says, For your fellowship in the gospel from this time until now. So the idea is, is that from the moment that the Philippians were converted, from the moment that this church was planted, one of the things that has drawn Paul's heart to the Philippians is that there is this fellowship in the laboring for the gospel. This is, there, this is evidence that their hearts have been changed. And this is the thing that is producing the kind of mutual love between Paul and uh, and the Philippians. And this is something that, that we, we um, intuitively recognize to be the case in other areas of life as well, that whenever you have something that you care passionately about, you care, something, you care about something passionately, you want to see something happen, and then someone else comes and they have the same passion and they want to, to see the same thing happen, and perhaps it's something good and noble, and you recognize that it's something that's worth even sacrificing something for. And then you see that somebody else has the same passion, and who is also willing to sacrifice themselves for this thing. There is very naturally this, this kind of uh, uh, love that develops between the two who share this, this sort of thing. An example would be fighting in a just war. Um, there is, there is a, a bond and a fellowship that soldiers have when they fight together that, that simply um, cannot be mimicked by those who just don't share that experience. Uh, if you're in the trenches with somebody fighting for something that you know is right and noble and good, then there's going to be a knitting together in love between uh, those who are, who are so fighting, who recognize that it's worth laying down our lives for this very thing. And as Paul thinks about the Philippians, this is what he's recognizing in them. He says, I'm, I'm fighting for the good of this gospel. And what I'm recognizing is, is that from the beginning, I have seen you have always labored with me. You've always fought with me. And it is natural for those who are so committed to the advancement of the gospel, naturally to have this love develop between them. And that's what the Apostle Paul here is speaking about. And so as we think then about the need, the need that we have to be knit together in love one for another, and if you were to think, you know, perhaps you're thinking, you know, I don't feel this love in, in the same way as the Apostle Paul does. One of the questions to ask is, is, are you committed to the advancement of the gospel in the same way that Paul is describing? Or that as Paul is describing for himself, but also even for the Philippian church. 
Or are you committed to that, to that end to such a degree that there is then this natural connection that is formed with those who have the same commitment? Uh, or even to put it another way, to ask this question, if Paul were to look at your life, would he consider you a partner in the gospel in the same way? You see, there are, in, in the world today, there are many who will come to church and their desire is to get things for themselves. They, they, they want to be fed, that, you know, that kind of language of being fed, and I'm not saying that's always wrong. I'm just saying that there, is a, there can be this disposition of, I need something for myself. I go to get the thing for myself. I receive the thing for myself, and then I'm, then I'm good. I'm, 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 I'm fed. I'm, I'm full. Uh, but what Paul is speaking about is something different. He's not saying, you know, I, I preached the word and you received it well. He's saying, I labored and you were laboring with me. And it's that partnership in the common labor for the gospel that drew his heart to the Philippians so greatly. And uh, brothers and sisters, that is the thing that will happen as well. It's, um, in our church, if there is a great zeal for the advancement of the gospel for many in the congregation, we're all thinking, you know, what can we do together to advance the cause of Christ? What can we do? And what kind of sacrifices can we make to that end? And we're thinking about it together, we're working together, we're sacrificing together, we're praying for each other in the midst of our sacrifices together, we're thinking about all those things, and then, then really what will happen is there will be a true love that is, that is worked in our hearts one for another. That is one of the, the means by which God knits the hearts of believers together. And it's because of this work that, God, that Paul has seen in the lives of the Philippians to this point that gives him confidence that it will continue even to the future. And it is this hope that it will continue into the future, as Paul says in verse 6, that causes even more love to be poured out uh, for, the, the, uh, for the Philippians. So he says, you know, uh, you've, been, you've had fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, and then being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The point is, is that the labors of the Philippians to this point give Paul confidence that the Philippians are true Christians. If they are true Christians, then this work that he sees in their lives will continue to the end. If it continues to the end, why should he not give thanks to God for them as he thinks about the, the good labor for the gospel that is going to come in the future, that has happened in the past but then will continue into the future? Now, uh, as we think about verse 6, verse 6 is one of the uh, common verses. It's the, a classic verse, you could say, uh, for the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Uh, you'll, I'm sure you, you've probably heard of this doctrine, perseverance of the saints. The idea is that a believer cannot lose his salvation. It actually goes further than that. The idea is that a, a believer will persevere in the faith and so not lose his salvation. There's just a slight difference there. But the point is, is that Paul here is speaking about this very thing. He, he believes that they've been converted truly and therefore he's confident in in light of the truth of their conversion, that they will persevere to the end. And we, we could say this verse is a verse that proves the, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and is then part of the system of doctrine that's taught in Calvinism, and of course it is. But one of the things I, I really want to point out about this particular verse is you'll notice that um, the New Testament does not give us these verses as proof texts to prove certain doctrines. They're usually given pastorally in the context of the application of the ideas to the believers' lives. So Paul is not writing here a, a, a dissertation about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. What is he doing? He is showing that this doctrine, by his, by his, by, by his very words, what he's writing, 
that this doctrine causes love between Christians. That he says, when, when, I, when I think about you, I give thanks to God always because I see the work of God in the past and I can be confident in the work of God in the future because of his sovereign work. And when I think about that, it causes my heart to overflow with great joy in thinking of you. That is to say then, the, the doctrines, the, the, the truth of the doctrines, doctrines correctly preached, even ones that appear to be, you know, uh, have lots of details and have subtle arguments and all these things, all of them are meant to be applicable to our lives. And in the scriptures, they are given uh, in the context that are, that, are, that, are, that are applicable. You think of uh, Romans 9, uh, the, the classic text on election, and of course it proves the Calvinist doctrine of election. But what's the purpose in the, in the text? Paul is saying, uh, look, the Word of God can never fail. And we can know the Word of God can never fail because of how sovereign God is, and that ought to be a comfort to your souls. So the ministering of comfort is the, is the purpose, and the doctrine of election gives comfort to the believer. Uh, a similar thing is going to happen in chapter 2 as we look at uh, the doctrine of, of the incarnation and Christology. Uh, it, is, it is not just an abstract declaration that the Son of God became man. It is part of an exhortation for Christians to be humble. Why are you to be humble? Well, look, the eternal Son of God became man and became sub subject even to death for you. Ought you then not to be humble? And to think of others before yourself, even as Christ thought of you before himself. That is to say that a proper understanding of the doctrine, any doctrine, can be measured by the way in which it touches your heart. And the question with the perseverance of the saints is this, not just do you believe it, but does the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints cause your heart to grow in love for other Christians, to consider that when you see someone who of whom it can be said that God has begun a good work in their heart, that it will continue all the way to the end, and then you will be with that believer forever. That you can be, you can be thankful for what happened in the past, but also you can even anticipate the, 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 that the fellowship that you have will continue from this point even to the very end. Uh, that is the purpose of the doctrine in this particular context, and there will be many other applications in other passages as well. But the point is, is that the work in the past, the work in the future, both of them knit the heart of Paul to the Philippians. And then lastly, in the present, uh, Paul says that not only was this the work in the past, which gives confidence to the work of the future, but he says, particularly with regard to his own persecution, it is right for me to have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Now, uh, one of the things that is clear throughout this letter, as I mentioned in the beginning, that the Philippians were not ashamed of Paul's chains. The Philippians did not attempt to cause Paul problems through the preaching of the word with wrong motives, as Paul will say of others in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Uh, the, the Philippians, in the difficult situation that Paul is in, Paul is also thankful that that difficult situation has not caused them to back away from the Apostle Paul. Now, as we think about this last point, this is something that we are beginning to see more and more in our day and in our country, and is a point that will need to be reiterated again and again, I, I believe. There is a temptation, there's always a temptation when someone is persecuted for the Word of God to nitpick the, their faithfulness to God and to say, well, you know, like this wasn't quite right and this wasn't quite right. And then you can almost, you, you can almost um, 
justify the, you know, moderately negative attitude towards this Christian who's being persecuted. And the reason I'm saying this is because I, I've seen it even in the even in the past years that this is a it is a thing that is a temptation. And as we move into a time where there is more and more outright persecution, there will be the same temptation for us to say, you know, this 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 person who's a Christian, you know, it's they're they're proclaiming the gospel, but you know, they don't they don't dot this I and cross this T and whatever else, and they weren't quite right about this, and therefore, you know, they should have done this differently. If they would have done it differently, then they probably wouldn't be in chains and and that sort of thing. Um, that, that, that is the temptation, and it is no different from what the Apostle Paul is describing here. Uh, when he was put in chains, in general, the church has fled from him. That is the reality. And when others are put in chains in this country or in another country, that is going to be the temptation. And one of the things that we see, particularly in the, the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10, is this was the, something that gave uh, the writer to the Hebrews great confidence about them, is he says, you know, when some of you were put into prison, but some of you endured the rebukes and you did it as if you were suffering in prison yourselves. And you, you weren't ashamed of those who were in prison. And that, brothers and sisters, is, is, a, is a, a very important key to living faithfully in a world of persecution. Uh, we need to be ready if there is something like, um, you know, Christians being put into prison and that sort of thing. But the reality is, is um, that that happens, that does not happen for most. Most people go through life without being put into prison, even in the countries where there is outright persecution in the sense of imprisonments and being put to death. Most do not go through persecution like that. Most will have the option of either separating themselves in subtle ways from those who so suffer or from being willing to be to, to say, I worship the same God as this person, and I'm not ashamed of their chains, and you should repent of your sins and believe, just as this person has done. Uh, that is really, for most Christians, in a, in a situation of persecution, that is going to be the call to faithfulness. That, that, that will be the call. And what Paul is saying is, he's, he's saying, not only have you been partners with me, not only am I confident of the work to come, but even now, as, as I'm in chains, I can see you are my brothers, and you've not been ashamed of my chains. And that is something that also knits the heart of Paul to the Philippians. It is, it is faithful living to God that causes the hearts of Christians to be knit together. And, uh, and brothers and sisters, we need so to live faithfully in uh, this life that we might be knit together in love one with another. Uh, now, Paul concludes by calling even God to witness of how he longs for the Philippians. Now, now just consider that. J just consider who it would be in your life, if anybody, that you would say, I call God to be my witness, how much I love you and how much I long for you. And even then he says, how much I long for you, even with the affection of Jesus Christ. It is as though Jesus Christ is loving you through me. That is, that is how much I love you. And even further, I can say, you can even call God to my witness. And he, God himself will testify that this is, in fact, the love that I have for you. Uh, brothers and sisters, it is these things, it is these, these things, 
the, the recognition of God's work in their lives, the, the co-laboring in the gospel. It is not being ashamed of his chains. It is these things that caused the love of Paul to grow for the Philippians and the Philippians for Paul. And so, brothers and sisters, I ask you, as we think about uh, your love for other Christians, are you fulfilling this duty of love? Do you have this same zeal? Or is your heart knit together with those who labor for the gospel of grace? Brothers and sisters, as the Lord Jesus Christ has said, this is the way people will know that you are my disciples. This is what Christ says. This is the way you'll know that they will all know is by the love that you have one for another. May it be that God would work such love in our hearts. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how we do thank you and, and praise you for the work of your Spirit in the lives of our brothers and sisters, in the lives of all of us, Lord, we conceive. And as the Apostle Paul will say in another place in chapter 2, it is you who work in us both to will and to act according to your good pleasure. Lord, it's a wondrous thing. Uh, we love you, and therefore we love seeing your work. And Lord, we do pray that you would help us in this way, even even to show forth our love to you in this sense by our genuine love one for another. Uh, grant us this grace, O Lord, that we would be so knit together uh, that, that uh, we would all be laboring for the gospel. And may it be that all might see uh, that we are the disciples of your Son through this work in our lives. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.